I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the show. Last night we saw Virginia complete kind of their, their run of destiny in the NCAA tournament. Forced overtime against Texas Tech and then ran away from the Red Raiders in overtime uh, to much to the dismay of our, our friend Andrew Doak. He's recovering, I see it today, on social media. But it was a great championship game, a great Final Four, great capper to what I think is really one of the more memorable college basketball seasons recently. I wanted to get perspective of last night's game and really the, the season in whole. And let's welcome on in Mike Rutherford to talk about last night's game, founder and manager of CardChronicle.com, college basketball editor for SB Nation. Mike, welcome into the show. And I guess last night's overtime thriller was a great way to cap off uh, the end of this basketball season. Yeah, no question about it. I think it was it was a great cap of a great two weeks. There was so much talk after the first weekend of the NCAA tournament about this being a quote-unquote uh, boring tournament. And then the Sweet 16 delivered, the Elite Eight delivered, and the Final Four, after a little bit of a hit-or-miss Saturday, definitely delivered Monday night with the national title game. And ironically enough, it was a title game that was supposed to be very, very boring, according to a lot of people, and turned out to be the highest-scoring title game we've seen since 2000. So uh, two great teams going at it, a great storyline with Virginia, and, and I think the perfect capper for what was a really good 2018-19 college basketball season. And I want to start right there with Virginia because you wrote uh, today about Virginia's journey from losing to UMBC last year, the first number one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed, and how that kind of galvanized them for this trip this year. I think it's a, I mean, it's a storyline that can only exist in college basketball because you don't have a loss like Virginia losing to UMBC last year in any of the sport. Uh, you know, you can have bad losses in the NFL. You can have a, a bad loss in the playoffs if you're in the NBA or the MLB. But there's always a chance for redemption, or there's always a way to rectify it. With college basketball, that stat, that you know, one seed's never lost to a 16 stat, was as well-known as anything else in the sport. And it was always going to be a case of whoever was the first team to do this was going to be infamous forever. It just so happened to be Virginia last year, and it just so happened to be by 20 points. And then for them to turn around a year later and win the national title, I think what it does, it fuses these two occurrences. It fuses these two years forever. And like Virginia, a lot of people said, well, they've got to win a national title at some point, or they've got to get to the Final Four this year. I think if they'd just gotten to the Final Four this year or if they'd won a national championship, say, five years from now, it wouldn't have done a whole lot to rid themselves of the stigma of 2018. Now, anytime anybody wants to bring up the stat that Virginia was the first one seed to lose to a 16, in the next breath they're always going to have to say, the thing about that, though, is, hey, a lot of those guys came back the next year and they won the national championship, and they did so with three just sort of miracle wins back to back to back. It's going to be a story that's combined now. It's not going to be an isolated deal where people are just bringing up the UMBC game. These two things, like I said, they're going to be fused forever, and I think that's about as well 
as Virginia could have hoped for this whole thing to play out. You know, you're going right where I want to go uh, talking to you here, and that's the last three games for Virginia. They're trailing in the final 15 seconds of all three of those games, and, and really Texas Tech yesterday with a couple of chances to win it in regulation. If there's a team of destiny, if, if something like that, that phrase is true, it might have to apply to this Virginia team because they just would not lose, would not die, Mike. Yeah, I always kind of cringe when coaches bring up in any sport, you know, God after the game, because I, I like to think that he's got, you know, bigger interests than basketball or football or baseball. But if you told me 10 years from now, you've got proof that there was some divine intervention here uh, during this run, it'd be kind of hard to doubt it. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked because, I mean, you've got in the Elite Eight and the Final Four, Virginia is literally, they, they are trailing with less than a second to go in both those games. Um, it takes a buzzer beater from Mamadi Diakite at the end of the Purdue game to force overtime, and it takes three free throws from Kyle Guy with .6 seconds to go to beat Auburn. And then you're down by three in regulation with just, I think, 14 and a half seconds to go against Texas Tech Monday night. It is to win those three games in back-to-back-to-back fashion with those circumstances at play. I don't know what the odds against them are, but they have to be astronomical. I mean, if you just take a snapshot of Virginia being down four against Auburn or T.A. Clark running to get that loose ball against Purdue with three and a half seconds to go and being on the wrong end of his court and his team down by two points and then being down three with less than 20 to go in the national championship game against the best defense in the history of Ken Pomeroy's uh, adjusted defensive efficiency ranking. It is nothing short of remarkable that we're sitting here talking about Virginia being the national champion for 2019. Talking about the national championship game last night between Virginia and Texas Tech with Mike Rutherford, founder and manager of CardChronicle.com and college basketball editor for SB Nation. Let's go to the final seconds of regulation yesterday when Texas Tech had a couple of chances uh, to win it. You had Jarrett Culver missing a shot, and then uh, a much more difficult situation. You missed another shot with just a second left. Is Texas Tech, are they going to be ruining those final moments? Should they have done something differently there at the end of regulation? I think so. I think for Jared Culver, you know, he just had a really effective drive to the basket. Their final made field goal of regulation with him going one-on-one against DeAndre Hunter. And a really cool part of of the game Monday night was Hunter and Culver, these two projected lottery picks, going shot for shot for, you know, a couple of minutes there. That was fantastic theater. But Culver makes the spinning layup on Hunter. It's a fantastic move. It's a pro move. And puts Texas Tech ahead by one point. For a second there, it seems like that's going to be the defining play of the game. They get the three-point lead. They give it up on the 103. And I would have liked to have seen Culver try to drive back to the basket, try to duplicate that success as opposed to launching that 26-footer. That was the one that got me. The shot at the end of regulation, you know, you only have so much time. There's exactly one second left on the clock, so you can only take what you get. But the the shot before, and I think that's the one where if you're Chris Beard, you'd love to draw it up and you'd love to say, hey, Jared, you're bigger, you're faster than this guy, you're going to be a top-five pick for a reason. Take it to the basket, get the two points, try to get fouled, and let's win this thing in regulation. He didn't do it. He settled. And in the, at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons why Texas Tech's not your national champion. You know, two best defensive teams, or I guess two of the three best defensive teams in college basketball this year. Surprising to me, they had 68 points apiece at the end of regulation. I thought it might be played in the 50s. Is this signaling, indicating some kind of sea change here in college basketball, or is this just a one-off that we're going to look back with all of the emphasis on freedom of movement and offensive play in college basketball. Is this a year in aberration where you had these two defensive juggernauts and Titans reach this title game, or are we going to see more of this down the road for college hoops? 
Yeah, I think you definitely will we'll have to see another tournament like this or another season like this where the three of the last four teams standing are defensive-minded for it to be more than just a potential outlier season. Because when you look at recent years, I mean, you've had Villanova win two national titles. They are certainly a five-out, if not four-out, one-in team that likes to lose three, that likes to play that style, that likes to get up and down. North Carolina, everybody knows they're offensive-minded. They've been in the national title game. Uh, two of the last four years. Gonzaga in 2017 was an offensive team. So it, it, more times than not in the last five seasons, the teams that have been standing at the end of the season's final weekend have been teams that have leaned more towards being heavily offensive-based. But this year certainly that wasn't the case. And Virginia has made a name for its defense. They're also a top-five offensive team if you're looking at efficiency numbers. Texas Tech was definitely a defensive-minded team. So if we get to the season, this point in the season next year and we're talking about Virginia being right back there, and maybe Texas Tech being back, or a team like Michigan that has been winning with defense in recent years, then maybe you can say the pendulum has started to swing. But it's probably going to take more than just this one tournament to signal some sort of paradigm shift. I think casual college basketball fans wouldn't realize just how dominant Virginia has been the last handful of years. This was their fourth number one seed in the last six years. They finally broke through, hadn't made it past the Sweet 16 before this year. But are they the new gold standard in college basketball, considering that recent history with Tony Bennett? I don't know if you can go that far. Um, I mean, like you said, they've won four ACC titles in the last six years. They've been a number one seed for the last six years. They've been really good in the two seasons where they haven't been a one seed as well. But it's going to take more than just one run. And the one run, we should say, I mean, they came very, very close to losing in, in, in the Elite Eight, certainly. They also didn't really put the foot to the throat of Oregon in the Sweet 16. They didn't play particularly well up until – I think the Elite Eight game against Purdue, where Purdue was out of their minds and Virginia still found a way to win somehow. They won their best in, I'll say, four of their six games in this tournament. So they answered all the questions, don't get me wrong, but it still it didn't feel like they were on this like revenge tour that we kind of expected when you hear things like, uh, you hear terms like revenge tours where they're just beating down everybody. I mean, they got down by 14 points against Gardner-Webb a year after being the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed. So as far as them being a model to emulate in college basketball, I I don't know if you go that far just yet. Certainly Villanova is still in that mix. Uh, Carolina has been so good and so consistent. Duke and Kentucky are the biggest brands, but they haven't been to a Final Four, either one of them, since 2015. So, I mean, you can definitely make the case that right now they are the preeminent program in college basketball. They're the top dog, and not just because they won the 2019 title. But if you're going to make that case, I think the distance between them and everybody else is still very, very thin. What about Texas Tech? Is this a rising program under Chris Beard? Was this just a confluence of a you know, senior-dominated or at least upperclassman-dominated team that was so good here in the tournament, or are they here to stay? I think it all depends on how long Chris Beard stays in Lubbock. And, I mean, if you do it one year with Texas Tech, if you take them to an Elite Eight, keep in mind they've had some pretty prestigious coaches at that program over the years. They've had Tubby Smith. They've had Bob Knight. They had never been to a regional final before last season. Chris Beard takes them there. He loses five of his six, the top six scores, including Keenan Evans, who was all Big 12 first team. Uh, he loses Iris Smith, who was the number 16 pick in last year's NBA draft. He basically brings back Jared Culver and no other key contributors from last year's team. And somehow they're markedly better than they were a year ago, and they come up just a shot away from winning a national championship. That has to be Chris Beard. I mean, you have to give him credit for that. He has to be the real deal. Uh, And I think you also look at what he did in his one season at Arkansas Little Rock, taking that program to the tournament, winning a game. And they have been – that program has been a disaster since he left. So, again, you look at that success and you say, that's the head coach. If he stays in Lubbock for a decade, then I think Texas Tech is here to stay, and they're a force in the Big 12 for a decade. 
I don't think that's the more likely scenario. Uh, he's a Texas guy. I can see him taking that job if it does open up next year or two years or whenever. Or I can see him jumping to one of these blue blood programs that's going to open up in the next five seasons. I mean, guys like Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, um, I mean, even John Calipari, a lot of people think he may leave when his son graduates two seasons from now. Some of these big-time top six jobs are going to open up over the next course of the next decade, and Chris Beard's going to be one of the, the names at the top of all of the program's list. So if he were to stick it out at Texas Tech for a long period of time, I think they'd be here to stay. But when he leaves, it's hard to see them maintaining that same level of success that you assume they're going to have for as long as he's in Lubbock. All right, finally, Mike, and I guess it's just the sports world we live in now. All the fans and all the listeners want to know, Already about next season, right? And I think, you know, it's interesting. It's hard to get through any college basketball conversation without rattling off the teams uh, that you named. You said Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Villanova, Gonzaga, uh, Michigan State, Virginia, right? Those are kind of, uh, you know, I guess the new blue bloods, and we always expect them to be around. Is it, is it those teams that are the favorites next year or anybody else that you think might be an early contender? And I, and I know very early contender here, but a team to watch uh, in the recruiting cycle and into next year. Yeah, I mean, it's so I put together our early season top 25 last night, and already it feels like it's been, you know, just, just blown to crap because you've got <laughs> uh, Jared Harper from Auburn declared today and said he's not coming back. Uh, Michigan's had all three of their big time underclassmen declare, and all three have indicated that they'd like to stay in the draft. If that happens, then I think that drops them out of the top uh, three. I believe I've got them ranked number three. But as far as teams outside of the ones you just named, I think Michigan State, and I know that they are sort of a, a blue blood as well and coming off a Final Four appearance, they have the potential to be really, really good next year if Cassius Winston, the Big Ten Player of the Year, chooses to return. If he does, they're basically bringing back, uh, I think, their top or five of their top six scores and adding a pretty good recruiting class that's headlined by a four-star point guard named Brockett Watts. Um, Virginia, I think they're going to be fantastic, even if Ty Jerome does choose to follow DeAndre Hunter with the NBA. Kentucky and Duke are always going to be there. Um, I really like Marquette if they're able to bring Marcus Howard back. And I think his decision is bigger for that team than any other player's decision is for their respective team. If he comes back, they're a legitimate top 10 team that can run the Big East and maybe be Final Four good. If he doesn't, they're a fringe top 25 team. So that would be sort of the outlier I would throw in there with those uh, familiar names that you're used to seeing at the top uh, of everybody's top 25 rankings. Yeah, Mike, always loved your work at SB Nation. I know why everybody else loves you too. This is great stuff. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us here tonight. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's Mike Rutherford, founder and manager of CardChronicle.com, college basketball editor for SB Nation. You can find those early top 25 rankings right now at SBNation.com and his column on last night's championship victory for Virginia. We'll take a break. Back here with your calls and texts. Phone lines now open rest of the hour, 504-260-1870. Our text line is 878. Shoot us some text there, and we're back after this on The Last Lap. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.